Well, today is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Uh, if you came in late and you're a guest, my name is Paul Buckley. I'm the lead pastor here. And glad that you're here. Father's Day is a special um, time of the year and an appropriate time for us to celebrate uh, what fathers are. Um, I, on Mother's Day, I brought a message that talked about biblical motherhood and how moms should uh, live and in particular relate to their husbands. And it was an instructive word, all based on grace, but instructive. And I talked about um, on Father's Day, you know, then I would talk to the guys. Well, I'm sorry to, to renege on what I said. As I prepared for today, I really felt like God wanted me to talk a little differently, not to fathers directly, um, but to all of us about the fatherhood of God. Because fatherhood uh, really flows from God's fatherhood. And this is such an important part, uh, really an, an essential part of the Christian life, to understand God the Father as Father, to really grasp that. And I would say that our maturity, our sense of, of faith and joy and our fruitfulness in life is really connected to how well we get this concept, how well we understand that he is our father and, and what we understand about it. So what I want to do this morning is talk about the fatherhood of God, what the scripture teaches about it. I want to talk, and my prayer is as I talk, that God himself would speak to us, that God would teach us about who he is and about his fatherhood. And that we would go from this place transformed. And that he would continue to transform us in light of this wonderful truth. So I'm going to be looking at, actually, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the Our Father, as it's called sometimes. Uh, and from there, I'll look at ways that we learn about the Father. And then I'll be looking throughout Scripture. So we're, it's a little different than our normal messages that uh, we'll be moving around a little bit more in Scripture. Just looking at this theme of the fatherhood of God. But let's pray before we look at the Word. Before I talk further. And ask God... To do these things. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. Lord, you're glorious beyond our comprehension. We can never fully fathom you, fully understand all of that you are. But Lord, we know from your word that fundamentally, at the very core of who you are, you are a father. And from you, all families derive their name. From you, all fatherhood flows. You are the ultimate father. And Lord, there's truths packed into that that are so important for us to get. And Lord, I feel so inadequate. And I want so much. I want so much, everyone, to get this. I want to get it myself. I want to live in it. I want us to live in it. I want us to share it with those who don't know about it. So I ask you, Lord, to help. Help me. Help us. Help us to encounter you as Father this morning through your word as we listen to you, Lord. Use me and Help me to just fade in the background. And Lord, may you come front and center and instruct us through your word, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. amen. You can follow along or turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6, 9 to 13. This is a, how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. I'm sure very familiar to many of us. When they asked, Jesus said in, in verse 9, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom Come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9 to 13. This prayer is an illustration of the fatherhood of God. It teaches us things about who he is. 
This teaches us three things, and I think the entirety of Scripture teaches us three key things about who God is. First, that God is a provider. He is a provider. He's the ultimate source and provider of all things. He's a provider. Second, he is a ruler or an overseer of all things. He oversees, he reigns, he rules, he watches over all things. Thirdly, he's a person. He's relatable. He's an individual. He wants to know us. He wants to have a relationship with us. He's a person. So he's a provider. He's an overseer. He's a person. And, and those are the three points. Uh, you, you don't have notes, and, um, partly because I just wanted you to listen. You can take notes if you'd like. But those three points are uh, provision, oversight, and personalness, P-O-P. And if you can excuse the corniness of it, but pop is a way to remember what we're talking about. He's uh, the perfect pop. P-O-P. So let's talk about those three things. He's provider first. It says in Ephesians 3.15 that he is the father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. He is the ultimate father, the source of all fatherhood, the source of all families. And he's a provider for us. He's, he's the one who provides. So in the prayer, we pray and ask, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we've forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're asking for God to provide us things. We start the whole prayer with our Father. That's a profound way to start the Lord's Prayer. We recognize before we ask anything, we're recognizing Him as Father, our Father, who's in heaven. And then we go on to ask for His provision. And in this prayer, we ask for provision of food and forgiveness and food, uh, physical food, I think, uh, you could understand spiritual food as well, all true sustenance. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for protection from evil within. So deliver us, lead us not into temptation. Keep us from the evil within, hearts that might tempt us to do wrong and, and destroy relationships, destroy ourselves perhaps. And then we ask for protection from evil without. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're asking God to provide for us core aspect of this prayer, core aspect of who God is. He's a provider of all things. Everything, every good gift comes from him. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. He provides. He's infinitely rich. He rules and reigns over everything. He owns the cattle's, cattle on a thousand hills. He has control of everything. All resources are His. And He can use them as He pleases. And He provides for us. He provides for His whole creation. He provides for those made in His image especially. We are very rich, actually. If we take time to start to think about the things God provides, we can take it for granted, can't we? There's just so many things that he provides, and we just kind of forget about his massive provision. It's all around us. It sustains us every moment. It blesses us in really innumerable ways. We can never measure all the things that God provides. And we could just take time just to do an exercise right now, just to go through all different aspects of his provision. We could talk about stuff in this room. We could talk about relationships here. We could go on and on. We could talk about stuff like food, his provision for food. But let's just take one little thing. A cup of water. And think about how God provides through a cup of water. 
how he provides really through water. Every glass of water contains as many water molecules as stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. And just one glass of water. Countless, countless molecules of water in that little glass of water that you drink and take for granted. Every time you drink it, probably. You just drink it. You don't think about there is a universe of water molecules in that little cup provided by God. Every little atom, every little molecule doing what it's supposed to do, every little subatomic particle relating properly, it's stable, it's sustained, and it's a gift to you from God every time you drink it. He provides just water. Water actually is fascinating. Water is a miracle liquid. There's really no other uh, common liquid like water in its properties. Water is a liquid that floats when it solidifies. It floats when it solidifies. That's a good thing. Because if it didn't, it would sink and lakes would freeze and all the fish would die. It floats. It's this miracle liquid. It absorbs different molecules. It, It can absorb all sorts of molecules, take it into itself, and then release it later on. That's why our bodies are based on the water system. Water is an amazing transporter of other chemicals and molecules. So it can grab a hold of something, it take it from one part of your body and transport it somewhere else and let it go. And it's not changed. That's why actually water can be recycled over and over and over again, because it has that ability to absorb but then to let go. So you can actually do stuff with it, you can process it, you can actually just let it flow through some sand. Sand alone will actually clean water of all the stuff attached to it. So water just in, in the earth flows through sand and comes out clean. It could be filthy dirty and flow through something and come out clean. That's amazing. You know, just think of that. It isn't altered. It isn't corrupted. It gets recycled over and over again. Uh, it, it's incredible. Actually, did you guys read that recently they've, the scientists have discovered that about 400 miles below the earth there is an ocean of water bigger than any ocean in the world? Did anyone read about that? It's inside a certain mineral that has the ability to absorb water because water's properties, I'm sure, as well as the mineral. And, and there's this reservoir of water underneath. At I think it's 640 kilometers, about 400 miles beneath the surface of the earth. This ocean of water as a gift from God. Water, water is incredible in so many ways. It has this, these heating and cooling properties that are phenomenal. That's why our, our cooling system is based on sweat. We might think it's gross, but actually it's a very efficient cooling system. Um, I was taught in college that, that water is so efficient at cooling as it evaporates that in the desert, in like uh, Arizona, uh, in the morning, people's pools, so the desert gets really hot in the day, right? And then, it, then the water comes off, it evaporates off the pool. It can cool the pool so much that you can have like cold water, though the temperature in the daytime might be 110. You can have like, I don't know, 50, 60 degree water in your pool because of the amazing cooling properties of water as it evaporates off. It's just phenomenal. It's just a miracle. There's this miracle liquid that, that is the basis of creation. It, it, it can float in air. It can travel underground. It fills oceans and rivers and lakes. It transports these nutrients. It's essential to life and health. And when it is cool and clear, it's refreshing. And when it is on a lake or the ocean and reflects the blue of the sky or the gold of the sun, it's beautiful. And that's just simply water. And there's more I could say, but I don't want to just talk about water today. And we could talk about other things. And the point in all this is that this is a gift from God. This is who God is. He's gracious. 
He's good. He's a provider. He blesses. And he actually blesses the wicked and the righteous. He blesses those who are his enemies, who don't want to come and submit to him and trust in him and follow him, who want life on their own terms. And, and if they really were honest and really had the power and the ability to do everything they wanted without consequence, they would, they would kill God. All of us are in that state naturally. Yet God is gracious in giving provision to such as these, such as we were. He's kind. He provides all these things, food and clothing, jobs, economy, art, society, homes, music, sunny days, families, friends. All these things are gifts from God. He's a provider, and he gives, and he gives, and he gives. We really have no excuse to ignore just how amazing he is in his graciousness. He's so kind. And that's just stuff in creation. That's what theologians call common grace. In other words, it's grace. It's the gift of God available for everyone. God just pours out blessing through common grace. And as wonderful as water might be, as wonderful as all these things might be that God provides, even more wonderful is what we call saving grace. It's the grace he provides to rescue us from that state of being his enemies. Because he's not content in his amazing love to merely leave us receiving blessing yet living as enemies. He loves us even more than that. He wants to redeem us. And so he did something even more amazing than provide all the blessing of his creation. He provided his own son in his Love for us. Before time began, before he had made anything, before he had made water, before he had made the universe, before he had made you, he set his affection on his people. And he knew where you would be. He knew where you would be in your sin. He knew where you would be in rejecting him. He knew where your choices would be. And yet, despite all that, and more important than all that, he loved you with an everlasting love. And he set his affection on you. And he said, because I love this one, I'm going to rescue this one. I know what's going to happen. I know the effects of sin in my sovereignty. I'm over in control of that. I know what's going to come from that. But I love this one. And I want this one not only to enjoy my creation, but to enjoy and know me. And so the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together, flowing from who they are fundamentally, decided to rescue sinners from their sin and decided together that there would be a plan of salvation, that the Son would go and He would become a man. God the Son, the eternal God, the Son, was to go and become a man, to be born a baby, to live under the law, under the Mosaic law, to, to obey His parents, to fulfill, obey the Ten Commandments, fulfill all righteousness. Live this perfect life that, that God in His goodness required of mankind, but nobody ever did. He did. And then He took that precious life as a, the perfect man and as God the Son, one being two natures, and then took it to the cross and offered that life on the cross to pay for your sins, as Phil talked about, to put away the just wrath of God, the just response of God in His goodness towards sin. To bear that Himself, to take it upon Himself and to suffer the wrath, the holy wrath and justice of God on Himself. He did that because the Father loves you. 
And the Son loves you. And the Holy Spirit loves you. And He bore that sin and He paid for it. And He rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death. And that in Him who all who put their faith in Jesus, who turn away from self and sin, put their faith in Jesus through Him, could receive forgiveness and eternal life. But there's more of the story. The Holy Spirit was involved in the plan too. Jesus ascended and then sent the Spirit to His people. Sent the Spirit to do the work in the world, to convict people of their sin, to convince people of who Jesus is. As the Word of God is preached, as the Word of God is encountered, the Holy Spirit comes, and those that are His people, those with whom He loves, the Holy Spirit works through the Word and brings revelation and understanding of the love of God in Christ and of forgiveness through Him. And that moment, if you are a believer, that moment you believed was not just you believing. Yes, it was you believing, but it's not just you believing. More importantly, it was the Holy Spirit giving you the ability to see where you never had seen before and believe where you hadn't believed before and put your faith in Christ. Why? Because the Father loves you. And so you're here today because of that. Your salvation is not based upon you figuring things out. Your salvation is not because you are better or more spiritual than someone else. Yes, you had to respond. Yes, you had to believe. But behind all that was the love of God. The anchor of your faith, the assurance of your salvation is ultimately in the eternal love of the Father for you. So do you see how important the fatherhood of God is for our lives? It's the very basis. It's the place we stand. His love, His fatherhood, His provision for us in Christ. It flows from Him. Ephesians chapter 1 says it this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think we have this to project. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. The Father, that's Ephesians 1, 3-10, the Father has loved you and has chosen you in Christ to be forgiven, to be made His own, to be set apart. This is the sort of love the Father has for you, for His people. And if you're not Yet, believing in this, the invitation's extended to you as well. The invitation goes out to everybody, any, whosoever would simply turn and trust. This is an offer to you, actually this morning, to receive Him, to receive His love, to respond to His amazing love and His provision for you in Christ. So you can find yourself included in these amazing, audacious promises in Scripture. He's a provider. He's provided Christ for us. He's provided 
for our forgiveness and our salvation. He provides for all our needs as his sons and daughters. He works all things for our good, and he will finish what he started. He will not leave us alone. Romans 8. We can project this as well. Full of amazing promises for us today. And we know that those we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. You hear that? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So if you are called, if you are his, all things work for good. For those whom he foreknew, Paul goes on to say in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among Many brothers, and that's inclusive, brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That is extravagant grace. That is is extravagant blessing from God the Father. Let me ask you this morning, do you believe it? Do you live like you believe it? Or do you live otherwise? I think of of, uh, a picture that we see in literature and so forth of of a, a pauper who's adopted or Perhaps you could think of it this way. Imagine a, um, a child that grows up in an abusive family, is abused, is neglected. There's not love from his father or his mother. And he goes through just a terrible childhood. And he has to live in fear, live in fear of not getting his next meal, live in fear of, of being beaten again. And, but that child uh, gets taken out of that home, And a family loves him. A family that's very different than his own family. Loves him deeply. They provide for him all that he needs. They care for him. All their actions are only for his good. Yet, he hasn't learned to live in this new family. He's still living like he's in the abused household. So he hides under his bed at night. He hoards and hides food. He flinches whenever his father's hand moves. I think for Christians, sometimes we live like that child. We live in fear. We live in worry. We live in anxiety. We live waiting for the shoe to drop. Not recognizing that in Christ, we are beloved. The Father is perfect. He's for us. He's loved us with an everlasting love. He's going to use all things for our good. He's going to provide blessing to us. And He does again and again and again. So so how do you live? Do you live in light of the fatherhood of God? Or is there another way that you live? Does anxiety characterize your life more than peace? Does does frustration characterize your life more than gratitude? Does strife characterize your life more than peace? I would submit to you, if, if that is true, you are not living under fatherhood of God. You're not living in this truth. You're not living it to the degree that God wants you to live in it. So hear the word of God. Hear who he is. 
trust in him and, and ask him for power to believe it, for power to live in it. Ask the Holy Spirit to activate these truths in your mind and heart in such a way that you're transformed. It's not enough just to listen to a message. It's not enough just to get the idea. That's the start. That's essential that you get the idea. But you need more than that. You need power. You need the Holy Spirit to work in power in your life. So it becomes more than an idea, but something that changes you, that transforms you. That's how this concept is is put forward in Scripture, not just as an idea. It's put forward as an experience. So Romans 8 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Sounds familiar, right? The, The boy living under, hiding under the bed. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba is in terms, a term of endearment. Daddy, Papa, Dad, Father. And you've received the Spirit. If you're a believer, the Spirit is in you to say that. And if you're a believer, you do already say that to a degree. But He wants to help you get that even more deeply. And to live every day, Abba, Father. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you're in my life and over my life. Thank you that you work all good things. An awareness of God that transforms you and how you live in his gracious provision. Why don't we do that? Well, I think, as I said, it can be because we think otherwise about God. Maybe we had an earthly father that was imperfect. Anyone here have an earthly father that was perfect? I did. We all do. And if we're fathers, we're imperfect. There's no way that you can duplicate the perfection of our Heavenly Father. For some of us, you had fathers that were very imperfect and were malicious even, abusive or capricious. You never knew what you were going to get. And that can influence how you perceive the Father. And I just want you to know the Lord loves you and He wants to help you. And as you dig into these truths and ask the Holy Spirit to help you, to empower these truths in your life, you will experience change. You don't need to define yourself by the imperfections and the sins of your father, your earthly father, but instead by the goodness and grace and perfection of our heavenly father. We've been given the spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. So for some of us, it's because of background. For some of us, it's because, like me, I think, I had a great father. I can't really blame him at all. But I take so much for granted. It's really sad. I take his goodness to me for granted. And, and, and this is how I think it works in my life. Maybe uh, it works this way in your life. Uh, you know, hopefully this helps. Um, say that you receive a million blessings in God. All right? And, and at some time in your life, you come to put your trust in Christ. You realize the million blessings or you just see the blessings of creation. Say it's a million blessings. Okay? What we do, what I do, I tend to recalibrate my experience according to the million blessings. Rather than saying, wow, a million blessings, let me start to count these million blessings and and be aware of them all, I recalibrate and I expect those million blessings. And I only celebrate when I have a million and one, or a million and two. And then what happens when I have 999,999, or I said that number, one less than a million, I complain. Where did that millionth blessing go? What, what a deal. What a, what, a, what a jip. 
Where'd it go? And I start to live like that. And I'm more aware of the one blessing that I should, think I should have had. Instead of the million blessings that I have. Does that make sense? Do you, do you ever do that? Do you ever like look at the one thing that's wrong? Or so you wake up on a, on a cloudy day. Everything, you're surrounded by his goodness to you. You've been forgiven in Christ. God himself died for you on the cross. You have food, clothing, shelter. You have a job. You have a loving family. All those things. But you wake up on a cloudy day. What a bad day this is. I hate cloudy days. Life stinks. And you live your whole day miserable because you wanted a sunny day and you got a cloudy day. I think we do that. What's the cure? Well, I think the cure is to count your blessings and to recalibrate and to realize that you don't deserve those million blessings. In and of yourself, you are a rebel against God. I am a rebel against God, and I deserve zero blessings. Actually, it's even, the the calibration point, the reference point is even lower than zero. It's negative infinity because I have sinned against God's grace in my life. I have chosen in, in myself before I came to know him, and I still struggle at times doing this. I have chosen to reject his grace and to even slap him in the face by saying, no, I don't want to do that that way. I want to do it this way. And, and the wages of sin is death. It's separation from God. It's exile from all his blessings. He is the giver of every good gift. And so if I rebel against him, I, I don't deserve to be in relationship with him and have those gifts. So I deserve zero gifts. I deserve exile. I deserve really negative gifts. I, I deserve to be put away. That's the reference point. So if I just get zero, if I, if I don't, if I'm not, if I just get forgiveness for my sins and not having to pay the penalty, that's tremendous. That's wonderful. But it's even more than that. Every spiritual blessing in in Christ is ours. We have infinite gifts in him. And so living like that and practicing gratitude and remembering the provision of the Father and starting our days with thanksgiving and doing things like I did with water just in your own life. I mean, you may not like how I did that. You have something else, whatever. I've got a little bit of science background, so think like that sometimes. But maybe there's something else. You can do the same thing, though. And start to exercise gratitude. Exercise gratitude for God's provision in your life, for the things you have in Christ, for the things you have around you. To get in the habit of not recognizing what's deficient, that you have one less than a million, but starting to count all million blessings. And even just the the blessing of being forgiven and not having to pay the penalty for your own sin. To live that way. We talk about being gospel-centered as a church. That is a practical and real way to be gospel-centered, to remember the gospel, the good news, every day. And tell your own soul, this is reality. This is from my Father, to live in the fatherhood of God. So he is provider in all these ways, and I want us to live in that and get that. And it will fill your hearts with joy. It will give you strength. It will give you endurance. It will make you a blessing. It will fill you with love. You want to love others? Learn to live in the love of the Father for you. And it will flow through you to others. Second point, he is overseer. He's provider, he's overseer. In the prayer, we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking for his reign over everything. We're asking him to reign and to rule and to have his way, that that his will would be done. His kingdom would, would come. That he would be glorified. That he would take his proper place. That verse earlier I read in 1 Corinthians 8 says, Yet 
For us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things. And then it says, and for whom we exist. We exist for God. He is the one who presides, not just provides, but presides over all things. He's the king, the ultimate king. Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah king. But do you know that his kingdom is ultimately for the Father? We talk about being Christ-centered. That's so important. Christ is the center, but it's not an end in itself. Through Christ, we bring glory, and he brings glory to the Father. And that's the point of all that Christ does ultimately in his love for the Father. The Father's love for him, his love for the Father, is to give everything to him. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So when Christ finishes the work, rules over all things, he's going to turn it over to his Father and say, here you go, Father, I love you, this is all for you. He takes his rightful place as ruler over all. So he's the overseer. He's over and rules over. Now, earthly fathers are, are rulers or leaders in a sense, different than God's, than God's sense. The, he, everything is for God. But nevertheless, there is a presiding, there's a ruling. So God is an overseer. He reigns. He reigns through his kingdom. He oversees us. He works things out. He's in control of all things. Everything. This is such an important truth to understand too. In the fatherhood of God, he is sovereign over all. And he is exercising his reign over all things. And he does that in multiple ways. He does that by filling your heart with faith and gratitude to him. That's an important part. He also reigns though over the trials and difficulties of life. They are not perchance. The things that you struggle through, the situations you're in, the people in your life, the job you have, the neighborhood you live in, the, the physical body that you have, and maybe the sufferings that come with it. Every aspect of his creation is under his reign. And if you are a believer, he uses all of that for good. He's an overseer. He designs those things for your good and the good of his people. That's a key truth. To understand that he reigns over it and we, we are to live in that. And knowing that he loves us, that's so important in all that, isn't it? Because sometimes it can feel like, how can he love us? What, why, why would he do this? I don't get that. I remember hearing a story about a, um, a scenario. Uh, I think it was a play or something in the scenario a pastor told me where there's a picture. All you saw was just a, a, uh, a father with a, a young son, relatively young son, he's carrying the son. And every, every you know, 30 seconds, he, he gives the kid a swat or shakes him a little bit. And that's all you see. And, and you're left to think, what's going on? What sort of father is this? Why would he do this every 30 seconds? I mean, what did the son do? And then the scenario opens up broader. And you see that they're stranded out in sub-zero temperatures. And the father is trying to keep his son alive. Because hypothermia is setting in and he's about to fall asleep. So the father is using that to keep him awake, to keep him alive because he loves him. That's how it is with the Lord. Sometimes we feel like, what's going on? I don't get it. Why bring this trial? Why bring this suffering? But he knows and he loves us. And there are reasons for the things he does. He works all things for our good. He rules and reigns over our lives for our good. 
Finally, he is personal. He's a person. He's not a force. He's not just a spirit that is ethereal. He's a person. He's real. He wants to know you. He, he wants you to know Him. He wants to be related to as Father. He wants you to talk to Him. He wants you to talk to Him throughout the day and pray. We're told to pray continually. That's part of what it is. It's talking to the Father. Father, what's going on? Help me with this. Oh, Lord, help me get through this traffic. Lord, help me be a blessing to this person who's tailgating me. There's all sorts of ways to pray throughout your day to the Father, to live in light of this relationship with Him. He has included you in the family in Christ. He wants you to know Him as Father. And it's all because of Christ. It's wonderful to read the Scripture and see the relationship Christ has with His Father. And it's a picture of what He wants for us. I love John 17. and Jesus is praying. He's getting ready to face the cross. And He's in this intimate prayer with His Father, praying for what's going to happen, praying for His people. In John 17, He says, And now, Father... Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. He's talking to his Father whom he loves. And he's including us in there. And that's really the wonder in all this. There's only one true Son of the Father. It's Jesus. And he deserves... He is eternally the Son, and He deserves to be counted as a Son. A full inheritor of all that God has planned. But in His great love for us, He's adopted us into this family. When we put our faith in Christ, He's welcomed us in, and He treats us as if we were Jesus in terms of counting us righteous and accepted. You are given full rights as sons and daughters, and welcome in to the family. I think of, uh, related to that, an illustration that maybe helps. Uh, my wife Peg's family is Fantini's, and they, uh, Peg grew up in Haverhill. She's a native Haverhillite. Um, her family owns a bakery in, in town, a factory, Fantini Bakery. And so she is a legitimate, full-blooded Haverhillite. Um, and I get to tag along with her. And when I'm around other people, I get to, in a sense, to be an honorary Haverlite uh, because my wife's a Fantini. Um, I'm not from Haverhill. I didn't grow up here, and I don't have rights as a Haverlite. But as one who's married to one, I have full rights, and I'm treated that way. I'm treated as if I were a Fantini. Um, it's like that with our Heavenly Father. Jesus, on his behalf, we are treated as full sons and daughters as if we were Jesus himself. We're given the same status. Forgiveness, acceptance, honor. We are co-heirs with Christ. This is who you are. This is your identity in the Lord. This is what he wants you to get and to understand. If the band could come up as we close. This is what he wants you to grasp this Father's Day. That you would live in the family under the fatherhood of God. And it would transform how you live. How you deal with things. The ups and downs. How you relate to people. How you... Think of yourself. So before we close in song, I just want you to close your eyes and ask the Lord, Lord, would you speak to me? Help me understand this truth. And is there one thing you want me to do in response? Is there something that I need to believe that I've 
not believed? Is there something I need to be thankful for? Maybe I haven't been thankful for. I trust God will use our minute or so of prayer to speak to us because He wants you to say from your heart, Abba, Father, to live in all that it means to be His. To understand Him as provider, overseer, and the person that He is. And to be transformed. Let's take a minute to pray and then we'll close in song.